Welcome to Tell Me a Story I Don't Know, a refreshing and captivating interview with top sports personalities and their connections to Chicago. They reveal some entertaining, memorable, and emotional stories, some you've never heard before. I'm George Hoffman, and please make sure you subscribe to Tell Me a Story I Don't Know on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget the free TuneIn app. We're there, too. Tell Me a Story I Don't Know is presented by Vienna Beef, makers of Chicago's hot dog on a Chicago landmark business since 1893. There is nothing like a Vienna hot dog or one of their Polish sausages, and their products are available coast to coast at ViennaBeef.com and through Amazon. Tell Me a Story I Don't Know is also sponsored by the Polina Market, Chicago's top purveyor of fine meats, poultry, fish, fresh frozen prepared foods, wine, beer, and now serving fresh sandwiches. They've been a staple in the city since 1949. Today, we feature longtime Chicago sportscaster, Kenny McReynolds. I go down to St. Louis, I'd be the guy that Ivy Crockett, who was just unbelievably fast. I'd be Houston McTeer, and you know, I'm a teenager. So we get a chance, but then Jimmy Carter says, we're not gonna go to the Olympics in 1980 which really was unfortunate for a lot of people who worked really hard and had nothing to do with politics. Kenny McReynolds has witnessed thousands of sporting events. His prominence in the black community is legendary. His Sunday morning TV show a staple and has earned multiple awards. And long before his pro career, Kenny ran for his life in more ways than one. He's fought through unheard of adversity and has cheated death. The app segue into Kenny McReynolds, tell me a story I don't know. Well, George, what happened was that I had a tumor removed from my left shoulder back in 2017 in late September. And after the surgery, I told the doctor that in the hospital, I don't feel right. I don't think I should go home. And they said, no, you're okay. Go home. You can go home, Kenny. You can go home. And then all of a sudden, I come home, I'm not feeling well. I said, okay, well, I just had another surgery. My arm had a lot of stitches in it. I have a bleeding tube hanging out of my arm. I'll be okay. Two days later, I'm throwing up on my bedroom floor. I'm throwing up blood. I, I, you know, I don't remember much of it. I had a high temperature. And uh, I remember going to the ambulance in the hospital. And I don't want to take up too much of your time, but I know I was really sick and I know my fever was like 104 and I didn't remember a lot. So my boss at Channel 26 Free and Wine Trap called me and I told him I was Michael Jackson and I was packing to go on a victory tour. <laughs> and uh, so he called 911 and told him to break my door down and get me out of here. And what happened, I live in a building and my mom's on the second floor and she sees the fire department putting up with axe to break the door down. She said, hey, what are you guys trying to break my door down for? My, you know, to the building. They said, well, we had an, an emergency phone call. Kenny McGriddle was in distress. She said, well, I have the key. So they come into my apartment, but my burger alarm is on. So she didn't know the code. So now remember, my mom was telling me this, George, and I don't remember this. So the police come and they say, well, you can't take them out of here until somebody gives us the code. Oh my goodness. So my, so my mom is calling me Kenny, and I don't know I'm Kenny. I keep telling her I'm Michael. So she says, Michael, baby, tell mommy the code, and I give her the right code. You actually did that? Yeah, I gave her the right code. <laughs> and so they take me to the hospital, and this part I do remember, I remember they did old school, 
they put ice bags on me in the in the um in the ambulance. So I get to the hospital, and then they give me a room right away. And all of a sudden, I do remember this part, George. I I couldn't breathe, and every time I sat down, I was drowning. So they had to hold me up. My nephew held me up for seven hours. Every time I sat down, I would, I would, I was drowning in my own mucus. So they had to hold me up. So like eight doctors came in to try to decide what to do. And one lady doctor said, I don't know what to do. I said, well, don't look at me. I don't know what to do. So as you know, Jordan, I've had a series of heart operations. So they hook up my heart to the monitor. And this guy in the monitor, the heart monitor, is yelling and screaming at doctors. Hey, his heart rate's down to 30. His heart rate's down to 10. Make a decision. We're going to lose him. His heart rate is really going down. So I'm telling Evan, I'm going to be the only guy I know to die the same day I get inducted into the Chicago Land Sports Hall of Fame. Because it was the same day. <laughs> and he's like, don't worry, don't worry. So then I look out the corner of my eye, and I, I can barely stand up, George. I mean, my knees are buckled. I can barely keep my eye open. And there's a security guard. And I said, dude, what are you here for? And he wouldn't say anything. I said, yo, blank, blank, why are you here? He said, do you really want to know? I said, I asked you a question. Why are you here? He said, well, they want me to guard your body, Mr. McReynolds, since you're a celebrity, until your family comes to claim it. This guy's thinking you're going to die. Yes, yes. They called him to guard the body. Because what happened was when Bernie Mac died in the hospital, People were coming in like nurses taking pictures of them, dead, and selling them. So they called the security guard for when I died to not let anybody in the room except for my family to come claim the body. But I wasn't dead yet. So I remember the doctor screaming at the other doctor saying, hey, his heart rate down to 10, his heart rate down to 8. And the next thing you know, I don't remember anything except opening my eyes to the doctor saying, let's call it official date of death, October 2nd, 2017. And I opened my eyes and I was like, oh, wow, that's a shame, who died? And my nephew yelled at the doctor, look, he's talking, his eyes are open. Well, you know what happened <laughs> when I died? You know, they give you the, the things yes. on your chest to, to make you come back. They do it three times. And if you don't respond after the third time, they call it. So what happened after the third time with the, whatever those things they put on your chest and, you know, say clear, I didn't respond right away. So that's why he turned his back to say, let's call it. But if I'd have responded right away, he wouldn't have said that. But there was a several seconds in between time that I didn't respond. And so he turned his back to tell the nurse to write it down, official date of death. And that's when I opened my eyes and said, wow, that's a shame. Somebody died. Who died? And I ended up in the hospital 17 days. What is this but, doctor doing for a living now? Well, people ask me all the time, <laughs> what did you think when that doctor said official yeah. date of death? I thought I need a new doctor. <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah. but, but, you know, but uh, all honesty, I did not respond right away. That's why he said official date of death. And as my buddy Reggie Theus put it, he said, man, you died and they didn't want you in heaven or hell. They sent you back to earth. That's not a good thing. <laughs> <That's true. laughs> they didn't want you anywhere. They sent you back. You know, 
this has really been part of your life, adversity. Yes. You honestly should write a medical journal about it. Tell me a story I don't know about one word you'd pretty much rather never say again, surgery. Well, I've had 42 overall. Uh, you know, I've had 19 knees, I've had a couple of hips, I've had what, six cancers, six hearts. Uh, yeah, surgery is not my favorite word. My body looks like a roadmap with the, all the connecting of the lines and the zippers. Um, but George, I will say one thing, I'm still here. And that's the only thing you can talk about, I'm still here. A lot of people are amazed at the 19 knee operations, but then they hear about the cancer operations, the heart surgeries. As you remember, I had a heart attack uh, at the, at the um, Advocate Center on a boys draft night. And after the draft, I drove myself to the uh, emergency room. Tim Hammond said, idiot, why don't you say something? I said, well, I didn't want to bother anybody. I just got up and drove um, to the hospital. I had a heart attack coming back from Wisconsin doing a Big Ten track and field. And on the way back, I drove myself to Mercy Hospital because I felt it coming on and I knew something wasn't right. I stopped at Walgreens, got an aspirin, and then drove myself to the hospital and had surgery. But the one thing I can say is that I'm very blessed that I'm here. A lot of people say, man, you're lucky, you're fortunate. No, I'm very blessed to be here. Hey, I, I had to go through the cancer treatments. I had to go through the chemo treatments. Uh, I've had cancer on my legs. I've had cancer on my arm. I've had testicular cancer. I've had cancer in my stomach. Uh, as you know, I've had two bouts with breast cancer. I had a double mastectomy uh, two years ago. They had to go back last year and do it again. But overall, George, surgery is not my favorite word. I'm an insurance company nightmare, but I'm here. And that's the most important thing. I, I can't complain. I woke up today and it's no secret. Every morning when I wake up, I play Bill Withers. It's a lovely day. Why do I get the feeling you're going to live to 186? I hope I can live to 286. <laughs> Good <laughs> you know what's amazing about all of this is you actually could have competed in the Olympic Games, which is really hard to believe considering everything mm -hmm. that I'm hearing. Tell me a story about that. Well, you know, at one point, George, I lived in a project. And I was born in uh, Wentworth Gardens down the street from Comiskey Park, a block, which is why I'm such a huge White Sox fan. Then we moved over to Ida B. Wells, which is about a mile or so away, 38th Street and Rhodes. Uh, so I had to learn how to run a lot because I, I wasn't fighting too much. You know, I was a pretty boy. So I had to learn how to run. <laughs> so I could run faster than anybody I knew. Sometimes I would run people backwards and still beat them. And... Although I didn't go to the University of Chicago because I was still in high school, I ran track at the University of Chicago Track Club. So I ran the 100 and the 200 and the four by one. And I, I was pretty fast. And then we did a hundred yard dash. I don't know if dash is longer than meters or whatever, but I, I, you know, I could go nine, four, five, nine sixes. I could go pretty quickly. And I get the invitation to the Olympic trials. Actually, I got an invitation to the Olympic trials in 76 when I was a baby, which would have been the one where Bruce Jenner won the decathlon, but playing basketball, I hurt my knee. And my track coach kept saying, Kenny, stop playing basketball. So I get the surgery. You know, those days you get cut, they weren't the scopes. But then I work real hard and I go down to St. Louis. I beat a guy at Ivy Crockett, who was just unbelievably fast. I beat Houston McTeer and, and I'm a teenager. So we get a chance. But then Jimmy Carter says, we're not going to go 
to the Olympics in 1980, which really was unfortunate for a lot of people who worked really hard and had nothing to do with politics. And so at the U.S. Uh, championships in Oregon, I refused to go. I said, why are we going to go run the U.S. championships and then we can't go to the Olympics? That's stupid. And I, I'm, I'm a teenager, Jordan. I'm a kid. So, you know, I, I'm like, hey, I ain't doing nothing. I'm not going. But I was guaranteed a spot. Said, Look, if the president changes his mind, you got a spot. So don't worry about it. But we didn't go. And the president invited everybody to the White House to watch the opening ceremonies. One thing I learned the hard way, George, when the president calls you and invites you to the a White House, teenager or not, you don't use foul language and tell him what he can do when you should have been at the Olympics. Because within two minutes, Secret Service was pounding on my door. <laughs> you know, like, boom, 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 boom. You know, I'm like, oh, my God. I, you know, I know I use foul language, but I didn't threaten the guy. Uh, but, yeah, I, I, it was very disappointing. And it was very disappointing to a lot of people who had nothing to do with politics. We ran, we trained, we worked hard. Um, do you realize that three Chicagoans would have been on that basketball team? Isaiah Thomas, Mark Aguirre, and Ronnie Lester. All would have been on the U.S. basketball team that That's year. Right. And I, I just think that nobody had anything to do with politics. We worked hard. We trained hard. You know, I couldn't eat McDonald's. I didn't eat cake. All I did was run. We ran. We ran. I had a 27-inch waist, you know, from all that running. But then that's the pinnacle. That's, people train for years for the Olympics, but then you can't go due to politics that you had nothing to do with. I didn't think it was fair then. I don't think it's fair now. Was I wrong for using foul language when I received the invitation to come to the White House? Yes, I was. But I was a kid. I was a teenager. I didn't know better. I mean, I would never do that today. But back then, I didn't know any better. You know, I recently spoke to a mutual friend of ours, Michael Wilbon, who grew up yes. not far from you on the South Side. And yes. I'm certain it wasn't easy. You spent time in the projects, as you mentioned, which mm -hmm. a younger generation, Kenny, might not fully grasp. So tell me a story I don't know about growing up and the challenges it presented. Well, the challenge, George, was survival. And not that, I'm not, when I say survival, I don't mean food. You know, we always had plenty of food. And I went to Catholic schools all my life. I went to, I didn't go to Holy Angels, although I, I was in there two blocks away from it. I went to St. James. I went to Holy Name Cathedral for high school. The challenge was the survival from the gangs. Uh, the gangs were pretty bad in the projects. And people always ask me, how did you live in the projects for 17 years and not get involved in gang activity? Well, two reasons. Number two, a lot of times they left you alone because they knew you were an athlete. But number one was my mother. I had an old school, hard, kick behind mother. And I was more afraid of my mother than I was the gangsters out in the street. But you know, when she would say run to the store, George, you had to run to the store, literally run. You know, I, 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 I can remember dodging bullets, you know, running to the store. I can remember walking down the street in the middle of a gang fight, like, okay, what am I going to do now? Here's 30 guys beating each other up with knives and chains and guns, and I'm walking down the street. What am I going to do? Where am I going to go? So you have to turn around. You have to find a safe place to go until you can get home. I'll tell you a story that I've never told anybody. I don't even think my mother knows this story. So basketball practice, and you know this, George, sometimes basketball practice is at 6 a.m. Coaches don't care where you live, how you get there. Be there at 6. So I'm standing on the corner at 39th and Rhodes waiting for the 39th Street bus to come 
to take me to the L so I can get the L to Chicago and State Street, called the L at 40th in Indiana. So I fall asleep at the bus stop, leaning on a bus, leaning on a pole, right? And next thing I hear is, hey, choir boy. I said, oh, God, they caught me. They either they would chase me, but they could never catch me. But I'm sleeping. They say, hey, we're going to rob Miss May's store. So Miss May's store is a little bitty store, little bitty, bitty store, maybe the size of probably your bedroom, you know, you know, with candy and goodies like that in there. I said, well, you guys go ahead. Ain't got nothing to do with me. They said, no, 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 no. You coming with us. I said, no, I'm not. So next thing you know, there's like three rifles at my head. Oh, you going with us. Okay. So they break into the store. They ransack the poor lady's store. And they said, quiet boy, you better grab something. So what I did, I took a cupcake. And I, after which they all run away. I go to school. But when, after school, I went back to the store and paid for the cupcake. And explained to Miss Mays, hey, look, I had no choice. And she, she really appreciated it. And of course, she knew I couldn't tell her who the other guys were because I would be dead within a matter of hours. But I did pay the 12 cents for the cupcake, and she appreciated that. The unfortunate thing about this is it's 40 years later, and things mm -hmm. haven't really changed. Things haven't changed. You're right. Things haven't changed. Uh, I, I'm actually, your things may have even gotten worse with mm -hmm. uh, all the drive-bys and everything right now. Uh, things haven't changed much, much at all. 40 years later, you're absolutely right. But surviving in the projects was not easy. But I will say one thing about the project that people don't know, people kept it pretty clean. Like we lived on the fourth floor. There were two apartments on each side. So we would sweep down and mop down the floor in the hallway to the third floor. They would take it to the second floor, second floor would take it to the first floor, and the first floor people swept it and cleaned it outside. So we had flowers. We tried to keep it clean, but there were gang situations like there are today. And of course, you had the El Rukins, which were the Blackstone Rangers. And the, 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 the real bad thing is, George, if you're walking down the street and a guy comes up to you and says, represent. I said, man, look, I'm not into all that kind of stuff. Leave me alone. But if he had a black tam on, you knew the disciple. If he had a red tam on, he was a Blackstone Ranger, which changed their name to the Black Peace Stone Nation. If he didn't have a tam on, you had to guess, and you better guess right or you better run fast. And that's how I learned how to run. Tell Me a Story I Don't Know is presented by Vienna Beef, Chicago's hot dog and a Chicago institution since 1893. If you've had a hot dog, chances are it was from Vienna. And did you know there are more locations selling Vienna in Chicago than McDonald's, Burger King, and Wendy's combined? There's nothing like biting into a juicy and delicious pure beef Vienna hot dog dragged through the garden, which includes yellow mustard, onions, relish, tomatoes, sport peppers, pickles, and some celery salt, and oh, those Polish sausages dripping with flavor. And look for the new spicy smoked sausage available in your local retail stores. It includes a perfect blend of seasonings such as crushed red peppers and brown sugar creating a bold and zesty taste. Vienna products are available in restaurants, grocery stores, and entertainment venues such as the ballpark, socks and cubs, stadiums, museums, and the zoos. Plus you can purchase them online coast to coast at ViennaBeef.com and Amazon. And remember, Vienna's not just hot dogs and sausages. Look for their farm makers chili, mini bagel dogs, condiments, and classic deli meats. Take it from a guy who was weaned on, then sold Vienna products. It's the mark of excellence since 1893. Check them out at ViennaBeef.com.
The easiest way to hear more great guests on Tell Me a Story I Don't Know is to follow me on social media at George Offman. That's O-F-M-A-N, just one F, on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And please subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and the free TuneIn app, and wherever you get your podcasts. We are all part of a very interesting group, uh, Kenny, growing up as kids Mm -hmm. and finding their way in this business and there seems to be a common denominator with many of us, and that's the late Chet Kopic. Only your experience was definitely much different. Tell me a story I don't know. How a niche sport and the godfather mm-hmm. of sports talk radio combined to have such a dramatic impact on your life. Oh, I love Chet Kopic. I, I actually, when I got inducted into the Chicago Land Sports Hall of Fame, Chet Kopic sat at my family table with my mother. That's how much I love Chet Kopic. Uh, George, I used to like roller derby. International Amphitheater, something we know you fans are going to really love. A four-lap blocking match race. These are the combatants. Antoinette, Miss Tonette, Catermas, call me the body, the pride and joy of roller games. This, no introduction necessary, of course. Joan Weston, the blonde Amazon, 17 times an all-star. The combatants going at it tomorrow night, Chicago's International Amphitheater. Miss Tonette. This has been a very rugged series. A lot of bad blood between you and now, Joan Weston. Let me correct it before you even start. This is no series, no contest. As you can see, our team is the best. I didn't know roller derby was phony. I thought it was for real. So I watched it every Saturday night. And one day in school, you know, hey, you know this. Your teachers always ask you, the nuns, what do you want to do when you grow up? I said, well, sister, I'm going to play for the Chicago White Sox because I love the White Sox. I'm going to play first base for the White Sox. And I'm going to run track in the wintertime in Europe. She said, okay, if that doesn't happen, what are you going to do? You need a backup. So one day I'm watching TV and I hear, this is WFLD, Fields Communication, Chicago. It's Chet Coppin's voice, the guy from Roller Derby. So I dialed 411. Back then you could do that. And I said, operator, can I have the number to channel 32? I get the number. I call it. I said, can I speak to Chet Coppin? Is Chet Coppin there? The lady says, hold on. I'm like, oh, my goodness. Next thing you know, Copic. I said, wow, Chet Copic. My name is Kenny McReynolds. I love roller derby. I really like to see how you do it on television. No problem, big fella. No problem. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll leave your name at the pass gate at the Hammond Civic Center. Tell the guard that you're looking for me, and I will tell them you're coming, and I'll show you around. I said, well, Mr. Copic, this is wonderful, but one problem. I don't have a car. But if you have a game on the weekend, my grandmother can take me. Or if you have a game at the amphitheater that you're going to broadcast, I can take the bus. Hey, forget all that, young man. I'll come get you. What's your address? So I said, I live 507 East 38th Street in the Ida B. Well Housing Projects. No problem. We got a game Wednesday. I'll pick you up at 5 o'clock. So my mother comes home from work, and I'm all excited. Hold on, Kenny, calm down. What did you do? And which nun is going to call me tonight? I said, no, 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 no. This time I'm not in trouble. She said, okay, what happened? The Czech Copic is going to come pick me up. I said, she said, well, who's Czech Copic? I said, the guy from Roller Derby, he's going to show me how they do it on TV. She says, call him back. I said, oh my God, what I got to call him back for? Can I go? She said, I want to make sure he knows exactly where he's coming. He said, no, no problem. I know exactly where it is. I said, well, Mr. Copic, what you can do, I can run really fast. If you tell me what kind of car you have and just slow down, 
have the passenger door unlocked, I can run in alongside of the car and hop in. He, he starts laughing. He said, no, 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 no. Don't worry about it. I'm going to come upstairs and get you. And do you realize, George, he pulled up in front of the house, got out the car, walked up four flights of steps, and knocked on the door. I opened the door. There's this guy, six foot seven, who was probably the tallest guy I'd seen, you know, from TV. I, I, he looked that big on TV. I was like, holy cow, this guy's huge. And we get in the car. He takes me to the Hammond Civic Center. He starts playing The Temptations in his car. And I said, oh, Mr. Coppock, you don't have to play the, this kind of music for me. He said, I didn't, young man. I, I love The Temptations at the Four Tops. And we go to Hammond. He puts me in a truck. He puts the headsets on me, lets me know how to, you know, you can hear the yourself talk, you can hear the director talk. And that day when he dropped me off at home, I told him, I said, Mr. Coppock, I'm going to go into communications and I hope to make you proud of me one day. And we were very close friends from that day on. For most people who do not know what the sport of roller derby is, and that would be a lot of people because that was way back, I think I was a child when it was on television, describe roller derby. Roller derby, you had men and women teams. They broke them up to men and women, and they would run around on a bank track and roller skates. And you, people put a helmet on, those were the ones that could score. So they had to go around, get past the group of people on the track, and then they would come up, and then they would try to pass as many of the opposition as they can. It was very physical. Actually, you know, Sugar Ray Robinson's son played for the Chicago Pioneers in the roller derby, and it was a huge sport, George. They put over 50,000 people in the old Comiskey Park. When the L.A. T-Birds played the Chicago Pioneers in the roller derby game, 50,000 people at the old Comiskey Park. They put the bank track behind second base. And, of course, Chet Copy gave me tickets. It was very physical. I thought it was for real. I didn't know it was phony. But I tell you, it was the time of my life watching the roller derby. And I was like a kid at Christmas time there with Chet Copic with a set of headsets on being in elementary school. You know, I think the list of those he helped along the way is endless. I used to appear on his radio show, Copic on Sports, a number of times. And you felt very important being involved with him. Oh, tell you what, he made everybody feel special. Everybody felt like they were God. He made you feel like you were the greatest thing in the world. Hey, big fella, my good buddy, my good friend. Hey, I had Chet when he wrote all of his books. Every one of his books, I had him on my TV show, whatever Chet Coppock needed. And it was so important to me to have Chet at the Chicago Land Sports Hall of Fame sitting at my family table. Unfortunately, that was the day I was in the hospital and died. I couldn't make it, but Chet was there. And I tell you what, he was just a wonderful guy to me. I, I, I have nothing but love, respect. Can you imagine, George, going up in a project, not knowing where you're going, not knowing who you're going to meet? And he just said, okay. And the funny thing, when we left, now, George, in the projects, let's face it, you didn't see many Caucasians. When you saw them, they were what? A policeman mm -hmm. or, a or a recruiter. So I'm in, I'm in elementary school. So you know I wasn't a recruiter, so people thought I was going to jail. So people saw me going out with Chet, and they're yelling out there, wondering, oh, my God, they got Kenny. Man, what did you do, Kenny? How much time did you get? I see you from see you in three to five years, Kenny. Oh, man, <laughs> hey, girl, hey, hey, they got Kenny, man. Kenny, what you do? And, uh, I said, no, 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 no. I'll be back. I'll be back in a couple of hours. And the sad thing is 
these people were serious. They thought I was actually going to jail because they saw me going in with a white guy get into his car. And I said, no, I'll be back. I'm not going anywhere. I'll be back. Hello, everybody. Welcome to CPS Sports Edition. I am Kenny McReynolds. Well, a few weeks ago, Chicago, we got a new mayor. Mayor Lori Lightfoot told me back in April, Kenny, I would love to come on CPS Sports Edition. It is an honor to welcome the new mayor of the city of Chicago. Mayor Lightfoot, I have to say, I am so thrilled that you took time out of your busy schedule to welcome me back. You know, I, I had surgery yes. and I was sick. Thank you so much for being here today my and, pleasure. Keep, and keeping your word. No, it's my pleasure. I'm not sure that I have all the answers, but I think I can point you in the right directions. Well, in my book, you have all the answers. <laughs> it's been a Sunday morning staple now for decades. You have done over a thousand episodes of Sports Edition with some very fascinating guests, including the one we just played. It's not just a sports show, mind you, but it is about sports. But you've had some very, very interesting guests. Yeah, we really changed the show around, George. It used to be just dedicated to the Chicago Public School athletic program. But then when there's no athletics in the summer, what do you do? So I decided to make it a general sports show. And then I decided to make it just a talk show. As you said, Lori Lightfoot's been on. The last three city mayors of Chicago have been on my show. Rahm Emanuel came on for my 1,000th show. He brought me jerseys, says Sports Edition 1000, from the Bulls, Bears, Cubs, Blackhawks, and White Sox. Mayor Daly also in studio. So I don't know how many sports shows can say they've had the last three city mayors, sitting mayors on the show in studio. We've also had Academy Award winning comment. Uh, I had my childhood idol, Dick Allen, on the show, which, of course, is sports and baseball. He was my idol growing up when he played with the White Sox. And everybody's favorite, Apollo Creed. Carl Weathers could not have been nicer. When I asked him to come on the show, he came. He was there half hour early. Said he didn't want me to wait on him. I said, are you kidding? I would have stayed, waited two hours for you. <laughs> so we try to make it interesting. We try to make it fun. We try to have different people on the show. But we also don't forget where it came from, which was the high schools. Now, Derrick Rose's first public interview was on my show. As you recall, in high school, Simeon didn't let the uh, basketball players talked to the media, but we talked him to letting Derrick Rose break that and talk to my show on my show. And we said Derrick will have to learn how to do interviews. Let me help him. And he did it on my show. That had to be really tough because, I mean, it, it, when Derrick first started his career with the Bulls, he was a tough interview. There's no question yeah. about it. He was learning. So now you're talking about when he was a kid. I mean, that yes. had to be really a challenge. Well, it was a challenge, but it wasn't because I, I knew Derek well as a person and, and we were friends. And I just told him, look at it as you and me just talking as friends. Don't look at it as a broadcast interview. And that helped him a lot. And, you know, Anthony Davis, who's one of the best players in the league, he's been on this show. Uh, Academy Award winning Common has been on this show. So we've had some really good guests, George. We try to make it interesting and we just want to go as long as we can. And we're just having fun. Uh, I always tell people, when it's not fun, when it becomes a job, I quit. Right now, I'm still having a lot of fun doing what I'm doing. You know what I really liked? You had Harry Lennox on the show. And for those who do not know who Harry Lennox is, he's a wonderful actor. He's part of a great yes. ensemble that makes up my favorite show, The Blacklist. 
Whatever his motive, these bodies were found by chance and we can't wait for another. Talk to the ME, see what he knows. Let's hope this newest tragedy will help you find this guy. It's an alluring TV series that it's in its eighth season. But I once saw him at the Goodman Theater in a, in a performance called Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. And that was, geez, that's over 20 years ago. What a wonderful person. He is just a wonderful person, a very talented actor from the south side of Chicago, was a Chicago public school teacher, uh, went to Northwestern. Just, just a wonderful guy. And, you know, that interview, you see, we went a really long time. And he's just such a wonderful man. He's very talented, a huge sports fan, great actor. And, you know, he comes to Chicago as much as he can. He never forgot where he's come from. Uh, loving basketball, everybody's favorite basketball movie. He was Monica's dad <laughs> in Loving Basketball. And, of course, he was in the race. He had, he had a great part in the movie, the Ray Charles story with Jamie Foxx. So, yeah, and, and the Five Heartbeats as well. So he is a wonderful guy, wonderful actor, a real credit to Chicago acting. You're right, because he does, he loves the theater. And he will do the theater every chance he gets. He still comes back and does as much theater in Chicago as time allows. Tell Me a Story I Don't Know is presented by the Polina Market. And if you haven't been there, what are you waiting for? It's been Chicago's premier market for the finest meat since 1949, and it's only getting bigger and better. From the popular Wagyu steaks to their porterhouse and tomahawk selections, Polina leads the way, and you might just spend hours there perusing the frozen food section. Everything made fresh, including chicken pot pies, pulled pork, and a variety of meatloaves. You like brats? I love them, including their pork variety, which is so juicy and tasty on the grill. And now the Polina Market has seafood and sandwiches from the deli and wine and beer to match anything you buy. Plus, they expanded again, making the in-store experience even better, but you can still order online to pick up. Take my word for it, the Polina Market is as good as it gets and conveniently located at 3501 North Lincoln Avenue in Chicago. Check them out on their impressive website at polinamarket.com. Mention you found them through this podcast. I think I've run into you now, I'd say, well, maybe a couple of thousand times at just about every venue here you can imagine, except high school sports events. I don't cover those. You've seen a lot of games. You've talked and helped a lot of kids. But tell me a story I don't know about. Maybe one of them we don't know about. Um, Boy, there's so many. Uh, I, I think that the one kid that I wish that people had to get a chance to see more of was Ben Wilson. Ben Wilson was the best high school basketball player I ever saw. And I'm known as the high school voice of Chicago sports, uh, uh, high school sports, the voice of Chicago sports here. Uh, ben Wilson was unbelievable. At center for the Wolverines, a junior, 6'7", number 25, Ben Wilson. If you haven't seen him, you're in for a treat, 20 a game. He could do everything with a basketball, George. I know when we brought him down to DePaul, when I was assistant coach at DePaul, I had him come down for the weekend, and we had Rod Strickland, who played, what, 16 years in the NBA, uh, Kenny Patterson, and Jerome Lane, who played with the Denver Nuggets. They triple-teamed Ben Wilson, and they couldn't get the ball from him, and he's six foot eight. This young man is, was so good 
that it was it was scary. Now people don't realize how close Ben Wilson and I were. Ben would come over to my house quite a bit. Uh, we would feed Ben Wilson. A lot of times he would eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner sometimes at my house and nobody knew it because we didn't make a big deal out of it. It was just the right thing to do. Actually, the day Ben Wilson got shot, he had breakfast at my house that day. Uh, that's how close we were when he went to Simeon. He, he was Magic Johnson with a jump shot. He would have played in the NBA as long as he wanted to play in the NBA. He could have gone to the NBA out of high school. One thing that people don't know is that I remember vividly the day he got shot, we were on the practice floor at DePaul at the old alumni hall, and Patsy Burns, our secretary, opened the door upstairs. You know, the gym was downstairs. So she yelled down that Ben Wilson got shot. So I said, okay, I got to get to the hospital. That's my guy. So Joey Meyer goes to the hospital with me. And you know me, George, I'm not going to, you know, people like, well, you have to stay downstairs. You have to wait. You know, we'll have an update in a moment. Well, that's not good enough for me. So I had Joey and I, we snuck up like a back freight elevator. And little did I know that elevator, when we got off the elevator floor, was when it had surgery. And Ben Wilson was coming out of surgery then. And as we get off the elevator, here comes this gurney with Ben on it, and they're wheeling him out of surgery, and he's blue. I mean, he's blue with a Cub baseball cap. And I started yelling, Ben, Ben, Ben. And he didn't respond. And he's coming out of surgery, and he's blue. And I looked at Joey Meyer. I said, he's not going to make it because he's blue. I said, he's going to die if he's not already dead. And that was very difficult for me to see my buddy Ben Wilson get wheeled by me in a, um, in a gurney like that. Uh, it was just a tragic loss. He was such a wonderful young man. He would have made Chicago proud. Uh, the one thing I didn't like is that once Ben passed, all the politicians came out of the woodworks because it, that became national news. That was ABC Network News, the Today Show News, the number one player in the country is gunned down in Chicago. So that became national news. And all of a sudden, all the politicians who didn't know him, they all come out of the woodworks. Oh, Ben Wilson this and Ben Wilson that, and that's my guy. They didn't, they didn't even know the guy, George. They, didn't, they had no idea what he was, who he was. Everybody had to speak at the funeral. If this guy spoke five minutes, another politician would call and say, hey, I got to speak six minutes. I didn't go to the funeral because I thought it was full of crap. You know, these people didn't know Ben. Everybody wants to be seen because it was the story of the day. And to this day, I'm still upset about that because that was my buddy. That was my friend. I remember two emotions. First, mm -hmm. I was sad. And then I was goddamn angry that somebody would take the life I'd take the life of anybody, but to take the life of this kid. I didn't know your relationship with him. And as you bring mm -hmm. it up now, it's remarkable that it's that it's that long ago. Yeah, and the guy that shot him is actually out of jail. And in this past February during All-Star Weekend, Ben's brother met the guy that shot him. They had a thing at Kennedy King. My good buddy Common was the moderator, and Ben Wilson's brother forgave the guy that shot him. I didn't go. I was invited to go. I said I couldn't do it because I don't know. I didn't know how I, would, how I would react. I know it's been a long time. I didn't want to see the guy. I never want to see the guy. I, you know, I know he served his time. I understand he's doing really good things in the community now. Um, but I, I, I never want to see him. I don't. I don't care what he's doing. I don't want to see him. Uh, as far as helping kids, George, you know, I, I don't like to talk too much about the helping kids. I think it's public knowledge that a lot of kids that haven't received college scholarships usually call me. And I find one for them. I think I've done that over 100 kids. But that's just 
you know, the good thing to do. That's what you're supposed to do because people have helped us. And I'll tell you a quick story. When I worked at Fox 32, the telephone would always ring. Walter Jacobson would never answer his telephone when he came over from Channel 2. I always answered my phone. So, yeah, it could be, hey, Kenny, or George Arthur's on the phone. Do you know him? No, we'll put him through. Walter <laughs> Jacobson asked me, why do you always take phone calls from people you don't know? My response was, because Chet Kopic answered my phone call. And you never know when the next Kenny McReynolds is on the other end of the phone. You've had quite a bond with one of the city's most revered athletes. I remember Andre Dawson, when he signed the blank check to join the Cubs, and it didn't take long for the bleacher section to bow to him, which to this day, by the way, is still mind-boggling. People are just bowing to this guy. Tell me a story I don't know about your relationship with him and why it became so strong. It formed when he became a Chicago Cub, and we just hit it off in the locker room one day. See, now guys hide in these big fancy clubhouses, which are like country clubs. Back then, locker rooms were small. There was nowhere to hide. And a lot of people were afraid of Andre. You know, he had that scarl on his face. You know, but he's one of the nicest guys in the world. So I walked up to him. We started talking. We hit it off. I became the president of his fan club. And we just, George, it was just like a natural bond. It was unbelievable how we just hit it off. It's like, he's my brother. I was at his house all the time. Uh, when my daughter died, before I called my mother at the hospital, the first person I called was Andre Dawson. That's how close our bond was, or still is. I talk to him almost every day. Now, when I was in the hospital, 2017, when it looked like I wasn't going to make it, when they downgraded me to critical, they called Andre and said, hey, Kenny's not going to make it. And Andre said, okay, I'm on my way. He was at a health club riding a bicycle in Miami where he lives. And he jumped on an airplane in t-shirts and shorts. He left the health club and went straight to the airport, flew to Chicago and said, I'll buy some clothes when I, got, when I get there. And came to the hospital. He asked my mother, could he accept my Chicagoland Sports Hall of Fame award? Which she said, sure. She, it was, Kenny would love for you to, to, to do that for him. Andre, of course, gave a wonderful speech for me. Um, I tell you what, uh, he got into the Hall of Fame on July 25th in 2010. My birthday is July 26th. So, I mean, what a birthday weekend to see my best and closest friend get inducted into the the most difficult Hall of Fame to get into, the Baseball Hall of Fame, on my weekend, which was just wonderful. I had a wonderful time being there in Cooperstown with him. We have a strong bond. It's like a brother-brother bond. And it just happened naturally, too, George. It wasn't like I forced it on him or he forced it on me. It just all of a sudden, we just liked each other. And he's just such a wonderful person. And we just became like big brother, little brother. And we talk every day. And... That's a true friend, George, to run to Chicago in October and you have nothing on but shorts and a T-shirt and go grab an airplane, the first one you can get to Chicago, and say, look, I'll worry about buying clothes when I get here. That's a, that's a pretty good friend. I conclude all of these interviews, Kenny, with uh, this final question. Okay. If it wasn't for sports in media, what would you have been? Mm -hmm. 
I probably would have been a lawyer. Probably would have been a lawyer. If it don't fit, <laughs> you have to quit. Now, <laughs> I, 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 I have a lot of people always tell me I should have been a lawyer. If it doesn't fit, you must have quit. Uh, the, the other day, I, I had a fine from the city. I didn't have all my garbage in a garbage can. So they fined me 300 bucks. I had to go down there and do a hearing. And, you know, I told the people, the garbage was mine, but it's fine. It's out of line. You know, I said, uh, come on now. It's fine. It's out of sight. The garbage wasn't even over there, out there overnight. And the judge just started laughing. He said, okay, Johnny Cochran, we'll, we'll consider it a warning. But uh, I think I would have probably been a lawyer. Thank you, Kenny McReynolds, for telling me a story I don't know. Well, thank you so much, George, for having me. It was an honor, my honor and privilege for being part of your broadcast. Thank you, the honor was all mine. My thanks to WCIU-TV and Weigel Broadcasting, NBC-TV and the hit series The Blacklist, and WGN-TV for those wonderful highlights. Thanks, as always, to T.J. Reeves for putting this podcast on the map, Will Hatzel for his deft editing, T.T. Shinkin for her artistic touch, and Ken Schreiner for always being there. And, of course, to our presenting sponsors, the Polina Market. Find them at polinamarket.com and the Vienna Beef Company in business since 1893. You can find them at viennabeef.com. Join me next time for another edition of Tell Me a Story I Don't Know. I'm George Hoffman, and that's all she wrote. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.